Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Wednesday morning to each and every one of you, and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman with a cast of thousands. Paul, Reed, Elliot, Jacob, good morning, men. Oh, boy, that's not a good look. We're here. That's not a good look. Right from the get-go. We're here. We're here. Not good. We're here. We're on the air. We're here. You can hear everybody. Everybody can hear us. We're here, and the Reds are winners, Tom. And that's all all that matters. All right. Well, we're going to get right to it. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 to 12. P. Yep. You can join us on YouTube, Chatterbox Sports page, if you'd prefer to join us in podcast form. And, I mean, we're rolling. In podcast form, just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. Well, three of you were there last night. It was roughly this time yesterday that we got the news that every Reds fan has been waiting for, that the top prospect in all the baseball, not just in the Red system, but in all the baseball, Ellie De La Cruz was being summoned from AAA Louisville to play in the big leagues. He was in the lineup starting at third. A position he's only played nine games this year and batting cleanup. And with that, you had a run on ticket sales and a buzz about the local nine that, quite frankly, we have not had in a long, long time. First pitch he saw, breaking ball, swing and a miss. He wound up walking in that plate appearance, scored a run. His second at bat, the ball left the bat harder than any red had hit a ball this season. 112 miles per hour, a laser into right center that went for a double. He walked his third time up, something the Reds brass said they wanted to see more of when they sent him to the minor leagues. He wound up one for three with two walks and a run scored. By the way, the Reds rallied from an 8-3 deficit to win the game in the bottom of the ninth inning on a Matt McClain hit against the big bad Dodgers, 9-8. Game two of the series is tonight at GABP. First pitch, 7-10, Noah Sindergaard opposes Brandon Williamson. We will be joined shortly by the TV voice of the Dodgers and the voice of the World Series on Fox, Joe Davis. That's in a matter of minutes. The Texas Rangers signed Jacob deGrom to a $185 million free agent contract during the offseason, fully aware that he had only made 26 starts, barely 150-plus innings, due to injuries the last two years. And quite sadly, DeGrom will be out again, at least for the next year, as he learned that he needs another Tommy John surgery on his right elbow. The two-time Cy Young Award winner hasn't pitched this year since April. The world of golf is still in shock over yesterday's announcement that the PGA Tour would join forces with the Evil Live Tour beginning in 2024. PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan, he met with a number of players in person in Toronto yesterday. That's ahead of this week's stop. And apparently the players let him have it, calling him every name in the book, including a hypocrite. The greatest golfer of all time, an Ohio State Buckeye alum, Jack Nicklaus, weighed in saying he can't wait to read the details of this deal, but added, Whatever is best for the game of golf gets his full support. We will hear from four-time PGA Tour winner and a local guy, Steve Flesh, coming off a great weekend on the senior tour. He'll be here at 1110. The beat goes on for FC Cincinnati. They haven't lost in eight weeks. 
The MLS leaders stepped outside of their regular season at TQL last night in the Lamar Hunt Open Tournament drilled Pittsburgh 3-1 to the final. Now it's off to the semis, and guess what? They won't play the semis for three months. Well, why would you want to play the semis now when you could wait three months? Got to build hype. When I read that today, I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> so when we were putting the monologue. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, we got this nice little tournament inside of a season. All right, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on board now with it. I get it, right? And then I learned it's 78 days till the semis. Tom, I'm telling you. I mean, my God. And it's all because of some other number of things going on in the sport of soccer all over the world where they take the nearly month break. Oh, and by the way, they're still playing in the MLS. <laughs> they're back at it this Saturday night in Vancouver. Oh, my God. Tom, How does anybody pay attention and follow this? Stuff? Tom, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, as much as I can promise this to you, if I can promise this at all, if they win this thing, we're getting that trophy in this studio. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we will. <laughs> I live right around the corner from their uh, practice facility down there in Milford. So, uh, you know, we'll swing by there and just pick it up. So we're going to borrow it for a couple hours. Back uh, the NBA Finals resume tonight in Miami, where the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat are tied at one game apiece. A Heat, unbelievable fourth quarter. They scored 36 points in game two to steal a win in the Mile High City and in football. The Bengals put their helmets on for the first time during OTAs yesterday. They're back at it again today at Paycor Stadium. Mandatory minicamp begins next week. Jay Morrison will be joining us on Friday. But a big show today, boys. Now, you know Joe Davis. Yeah, Joe, Joe and I met. Joe was calling a Xavier game uh I don't know, a long time ago, probably when I was a freshman or a sophomore, and I uh, got to know him way back when. That was that was way back when he was probably he was just starting with the Dodgers, I guess. Went out and uh, met him for breakfast. He was great with me. I've kept up with him over the years. I haven't talked to him in a little while. Um, he's quickly risen to uh, the, the top of the broadcast world, now doing the World Series and everything else. And, yeah, he was back doing college basketball. He'd be all over, and he doesn't do college basketball much anymore if he does at all. Um, but uh, yeah, Joe's been great, and God, he's twenty or he's thirty-five. Yep. Thirty-five. Yep. Yeah. Same birthday. Same birthday. Nine years older than me. I always nice. always remember nine years. Nice. Nine years older than me. Same birthday. So, uh, yeah, great dude, great great guy, and and somebody that God, he went from he was twenty. Oh God, how old was he when he got the Dodgers job, Tom? Like twenty-eight. 29 when he got the Dodgers uh, job, like something in there. Because they eased him in. They eased yeah, him in because yeah. they didn't want him to be a, a, a full-time replacement for, for Vince Scully right away, so they eased him in. But um, you're going to have to ask him the story of, of when he was in Montgomery and how he got started because it's a great story. Yeah, Montgomery, when, Alabama. From when he got started with the Biscuits down in Montgomery yeah. to, to when he got discovered. It's a fantastic story. Well, we're going to talk a lot about uh, his career. We're going to talk about the Dodgers. And get impressions uh, of Ellie De La Cruz last night. Three of you guys were down there, right? Raise your hands. All right. The only one that wasn't there is Elliot, and he's going tonight, right? That's correct. It's a Bart in the Park tonight, Tom. Is it really? Yes. At the SPCA Cincinnati. Yes. Very fired up. That was always one of my favorite nights of the year. Are you taking your dog? I am, yeah. You are? Yes. I have, I have a little, I have a Bichon Per Se Poodle mix. Her name is Juno, and she will be in attendance tonight. 
How about nice. that? And it's going to be a great night for it. Not too hot. Yes. Very, very nice. I'm impressed. Keep I'm your door. Uh, Elliot just got a lot of points in my book. You get, The rest of you guys got a lot of work to do, but I mean, he's moving up. Because <laughs> he's a dog guy? I got two dogs. Well, I know, but you're not taking them to bark in the park. I took them last year. I, I, well, we weren't on the air last year. How am I supposed to know? There are pictures of me in my seats. Elliot, keep your dog away from Sir Boy Wonder. He hates dogs. He he always talks bad about my dog. He says Riz. He says Boy Wonder hates dogs. He says Rizzo sucks. So he hates Rizzo. Oh, now, see, now, he, he hates yeah, my know, he hates my dog. You know, you sound like James Comey now. I mean, come <laughs> on, come on. Um, we got lots of guys making kind. Con- yeah, thanks for the comment about the big league hoodie. This is uh, for from the Pioneer League, big league, Pioneer League. Love that league. If you had to go hang out for one summer, even more than the major leagues, you had to hang out for one summer and just go watch baseball games and travel around. That would be the league you'd go to. Because of the sheer beauty of the league, the cities, the towns, the whole nine yards. Yeah, I'd like all... to spend the summer in Montana. Right. Right. Yeah, it's got to be great. I mean, none of you guys are outdoor guys. You're sitting around. Oh, oh come on, no, come on, Tom. Tom. You're watching come video on, Tom. games. You got all kinds <laughs> of nonsense going, gambling, like all the other degenerates in the world. Go hang out in Montana. A little fishing. Never been. Right. A little hiking. The big Yellowstone. That's right. Yells, good Yellow out Star. there. Yeah. Maybe run into Costner. Great park. Terrible show. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, terrible right. take. That's enough. We got Joe. <laughs> well, uh, Joe called the game last night. Joe, good morning. It's great to have you here in Cincinnati and great to have you here on the show. How are you, young man? I'm good, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Now, Paul Fritchner, when he was a freshman, is that what you said, yeah, Paul? Yeah, yeah, freshman. You yeah. had a chance to meet Mr. Davis. Yeah, Joe's always been great with me. Hey, Joe, it's good to see you. I know I'm it's Paul. been a while. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks for yeah. coming on today. So, Joe, uh, Paul was saying he has heard the story. We're going to get right to it because we want to talk about your career. I mean, it's been a, a meteoric rise in, in your career. And uh, he... Tell us about being in Montgomery, Alabama, and how you were, quote, unquote, is that when you, you uh, the sort of star is born? I know those are not your words. Those are my words. Yeah, uh, man, Montgomery. It, so I took that job right out of college. I graduated college a semester early so I could go down there and take that. And, and you know, Tom, like, that was a huge deal for me to be able to go into a double-A job right away. Um yeah, it didn't feel like any kind of star was being born. You guys know what it's like, minor league baseball, 140 games in 150 days or whatever it is. And, you know, you're in there at 9 a.m. doing game notes after leaving the park at 11 o'clock, writing the game recap and everything for the website. But what I looked at it as, Tom, was a chance every single day to try to get a little bit better. And, you know, when you stack 140 of those on top of each other over a few years, I think that it's only natural you're going to get a lot better. So I certainly wouldn't be where I am now without having had those few years. You know, I want to go back. I always like to ask guys we have on the program about growing up and really what their their youth and their childhood was about. I mean, this is a show in Ohio. You're a Michigan guy. So a lot of people were excited to have you today till they found out you're a Michigan guy. <laughs> but we're going to let that slide for a little bit. But, but in all seriousness, I mean, you, you were born in Lansing, Michigan. You grew up. Is it Potterville, Michigan? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was it? What was the household like in the Davis household growing up as a kid? Well, I like you, Tom, grew up in a sports family. My dad was not a broadcaster, but a coach. He was a longtime high school football coach. So 
all my earliest memories revolve around trips to his practice and, you know, getting picked up from kindergarten by my mom and dropped off at my dad's practice and laying in the pile of tackling dummies. And then as I got a little older, being the water boy and a little older than that, you know, throwing uh, balls and drills for, for DBs and stuff like that. And eventually I played for my dad. Uh, so that, that was kind of the string through my childhood that I guess that I think when anybody gets into something, you can probably draw a string back and, and like you're asking about, what was it as a child that led you to get into this? Very clear for me that I was always around sports and uh, knew that I wanted a career in it at an early age and knew that I wanted to do exactly what I'm doing now at a really early age. I don't have an exact answer for you why that would be the case. Um, other than that, I paid close attention to the guys calling games very early on. Like, I mean, I was probably seven or eight years old when I started paying close attention. So was it was it mainly Ernie Harwell, guys like that, or, or well, actually, by the time you were guy, I always forget how young you are, Joe, at thirty five. I mean, who, so who were some of the guys that you were listening to that you liked listening to, or at least made an impression upon you when you were listening? So nationally, the first guy, it's a random one, but the first guy nationally that I remember listening to and saying, man, like I like what that guy's doing and that would be really cool to have as a job is Gary Thorne on the yep. NHL on ESPN. Um, so he'd be the first guy. I grew up a Cubs fan. So Chip Carey and Pat Hughes on radio. I listened to uh, just about all the games on WGN 720. Um those two guys as Cubs fans. And then you and Joe doing the postseason for Fox, those were, you know, and then, and then the NFL stuff, like all the biggest games for me, my, my memory as a kid, you guys were the ones calling those. So um, just by osmosis, you know, took a lot from you guys. And it's, it's one of the reasons why doing what I'm doing now, Tom, is such a, like a mind blowing thing where I grew up not saying just, I want to be a sports announcer. I want to, call the world series and to get to do that and to do it on the network and follow the guy that I watched doing it. Uh, that's what makes it really extra special. You know, uh, Joe, how old were you, if you don't mind, and where were you? Uh, Cause this will lead to a follow-up question. How old were you when you got married and where were you in your career? Uh, 25, 26. And we had, we got engaged when I was in Montgomery. So when I, I knew that she was probably a keeper when she followed me down to Montgomery, Alabama, she's going to follow <laughs> me down there. Then probably, probably should put a ring on it as they say. So I did while we were down there. And then I got uh, a full-time contract with ESPN, mostly doing games for ESPNU. And we moved back home to Michigan, where we're both from, and got married right around then. I only ask that question because, you know, it's interesting. I, I did not get married. Never, you know, it, it runs the gamut. I mean, I didn't get married till I was 38. Didn't have my first child till I was 40. So all those years, you know, mirror yours to some extent, you know, doing games, at, at big games, very young age and, and, and moving your career. And, and people will ask me, young people who are getting into broadcasting now, knowing they might end up in a place like Montgomery, Alabama or Visalia, California or wherever they go, right? And I always say to them, I say, you know, look, if you find that right one, that's awesome. But, but man, you're going to be asking a lot 
uh, of a woman, and especially if you're thinking about having a family, uh, when you're not making a lot of money and you're having to go from one year to the next, perhaps, you know, every step of the way and moving your way up. Uh, how challenging was that? Because you know, I didn't do it, and, 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 and I don't know what that must have been like. Yeah, it's all the credit goes to my wife, Libby. And I, I tell people, too, that because this is a conversation that I have with a lot of young broadcasters as well, Tom. It's really important that your spouse, your significant other, is as into this, the idea of this journey as you are. And I've said all along, my wife is a bigger fan of what I'm doing than I am. And not because she's any kind of sports fan, just because I think she knew from the time we met this was a lifelong dream of mine and marrying me, you know, being my girlfriend at first, getting engaged, that all meant marrying into this, into this journey. And, you know, realistically, when we moved down to Montgomery, I remember the, I wrote my goals down on a piece of paper. And realistically, one of them was to get to the major leagues by the time I was 30. So I was thinking, you know, Montgomery, what, seven, eight years maybe? I was so lucky and so happy to be down there, and she was too. She knew what a huge deal it was for me to get that job. Uh, never once has there been a moment where she was anything other than supportive. And, you know, that goes back to when we met while we were in college right up to this morning. Right before I hopped on with you, I FaceTime with her, and she's got our three kids, getting them around to get the two older kids off to school. And, uh, she continues to be my biggest support and it becomes, it goes from you, you better have somebody who's not going to derail you like it, that that's going to derail your career, derail your relationship to one of the biggest reasons for any kind of success I've had. You bounce through some of the stops along the way. And uh, I had a chance, our son, we took him down on a college visit to Baylor a couple of years ago. And you spent some time down there. You know, the first thing I think a lot of people, you're not old enough to remember this. Nobody in this room is besides me. But for a lot of people, you think of Waco and you think of the, you know, Davidian thing and all that. There's a lot happening down there in Baylor. And that's an awesome place to go down there and broadcast. That had to be a great experience because that, that is, it's big time sports. I mean, it's gotten bigger mm -hmm. since you left. Obviously, they won a national championship in college basketball, and the football program is really good. But, but, but that's, that, that seems like that would have been a good stop where you have a, a rabid fan base really paying attention to what you're doing. How about this, though, Tom? So that was while I was in Montgomery. I was doing that job, the pre- and post-show. But I was doing it from a studio in Auburn. You're kidding. No, because it was uh, – Formerly ISP, like yep. IMG is now the the big sports property company. They had a satellite studio in Auburn, which was about an hour drive from Montgomery. So my off-season gig those first two years when I was doing Montgomery baseball was to go to this little studio in Auburn, and I would be the pre- and post-game update guy for the Baylor radio network. I had never been to Waco. After two years of doing Baylor, had never been. I've been a couple times now doing college football, but uh, yeah, that was an interesting one where I was the Baylor guy, but from Auburn, Alabama. You know, you, you look at some of the, the, the events you've done and I'm sure like you, you know, I, I try to share with, with young broadcasters all the time. Look, go, go try them all. Right. Mm -hmm. No matter what it is. I mean, there was a time in your life, if I'm not mistaken, I read where you were doing like the Illinois high school volleyball state championships. You know, I remember here in Cincinnati a thousand years ago, it was right around the time you were born where they had the United States Olympic rowing trials 
uh, here in Cincinnati for the Olympic team. And Bob Trumpy and I are riding around in a boat talking about That's- rowing, you know, and I'm like, well, at least you got a chance to do it. I've done bowling because you never know when something might come along and you yeah. get a chance to go do something. And you're like, hey, I've done that before. Yeah. Yeah. No opportunities too small. Right. When you especially when you're first getting going, go do everything. And I did the volleyball you talked about. I announced a ultimate Frisbee game when I was at Beloit. It was just I was so eager to get every chance I could to get behind a microphone and and do it as much just to to have the act of broadcasting as to build anything on my resume and put any kind of feather in my cap. I just loved calling whatever it was I was going to be calling. Those, you know, the random Illinois high school volleyball championships. That was big time. It was a championship game. You know, I was only 22 years old, 21, 22 years old at that point. So that was really cool that a champion was going to be crowned. Even though I didn't know anything about volleyball, I got to do a championship game. And, you know, I, and I got to announce games, which still to this day is what I love doing. When, when you look at then what happens, you know, you go back to, I think, around 2012, you're doing some college football, you're doing all kinds of things. I mean, you're into Sunbelt Conference, on and on and on and on. Tell us about the call you get from Fox in 2014. Was that completely out of the blue? How did that happen? Yeah, that was – so my contract with ESPN was up after two years, and it was just one of those things where you do your due diligence and you see what else is out there, and it – Worked out for me where they were just starting to get going with FS1 and were bringing in more talent at that point and gave me an, an offer that I like. I didn't see myself leaving ESPN. I felt like I was in a, on a good track there. And uh, But this is a chance to go do some Major League Baseball right away and do some big-time college football that I was above the level that I was doing certainly at ESPN at that point. So they kind of made it a no-brainer and – wasn't necessarily one call as much as it was a series of calls where we got the sense that there was interest and then uh, became a no-brainer by the end of the time we discussed everything. You had a chance for them to do some college football, did some basketball, you're doing Major League Baseball, a handful of NFL games here and there. You know, oftentimes you sort of look at the landscape once you get in the door and you start to say, okay, uh, Joe Buck, still a young man, Right. You had talked about having a goal of perhaps wanting to do the World Series network television one day. But then you're looking at the guy. It's kind of like coming up as a shortstop behind Barry Larkin. Right. Uh, Where where are you going to play? Right. So are are you at that point in time saying to yourself, man, maybe my shot will come in this sport rather than that sport? Or did you never get wrapped up in all that? I think that it's only human to get wrapped up in it some. But I think the key is to do your best to control what you can control. And I know that's cliche, but um, and, and I think I got better at it as my career went on. At first, not very good at it. I was the guy like at ESPN, every time a grid, and uh, you know, an assignment grid would come out, I'd look and see who got each game and like compare my assignments to theirs, which is just a toxic way to look at things. But I think probably a lot of young guys do that. It's interesting. I had gotten to the place, Tom, where – because if you would ask me 10 years ago, I would have said, if I don't get to do the World Series, if I don't get to be you know, a top NFL guy, then I feel like I've failed. I've fallen short of my goals. I had gotten to the point, though, where I was loving the Dodgers stuff so much. I was loving the college football crew that I was on. I was doing some great 
you know, I was basically the lead baseball guy through the summer because Joe wasn't doing a ton of those. I was doing a postseason series. I'd gotten to the point where it was like, okay, I got an awesome career. There are people that would kill for this lineup of games that I'm getting. I have an amazing family. I'm good. Like, if this is where I top out, I'm good. And ironically, the kind of the moment that you get to that place mentally, that's when things started to shake down with Joe going to ESPN. But no, I, I never let myself, especially as it went farther and farther along in my career, to go too far down that path of like, this needs to happen, or I need to position myself here or there. I just felt like I was doing everything I could to put myself in position if something ever did open up to be somebody that they'd consider. You know, it's an interesting point you raise because, I mean, look, I, I've walked in those shoes and I understand it. Uh, when you're talking about reaching the very pinnacle of anything, and you could be the pinnacle of fill in the blank, okay? I mean, really, and, and, I, and I don't say this, don't take this the wrong way. I mean, you're reaching a point now where Joe has been and all those kinds of things where, where you know, it, for your particular profession – I mean, you're Bill Gates, you're Elon Musk. I mean, I know that sounds sort of trite in a way to some, but it isn't because there are only, you know, four or five networks out there. There are only a couple that really have the truly big, big, big events, Super Bowls, World Series, whatever it might be. And there are only two or three guys that are even in that conversation. You're starting to work your way now in as a lead for Fox doing the World Series. What I'm getting at in a long-winded way is, is that, you know, it, it's interesting you bring up about how you reach a point or you have to try to reach a point where you're like, I am okay with this right here. You know, and I remember learning from Dick Stockton after he was at the top of the mountain, and then all of a sudden he'd slip to the two crew or the three crew or the seven crew breaking in young guys. And he'd be like, our seminars, he'd be like, are you kidding me? They're paying me what they're paying me. I'm 60-something years old. I've been doing this for 50, whatever, 40, whatever it is, years. He said, how in the world could I complain about anything? But there's also that part of human nature where you're saying, man, that next mountain is right there, and I want to charge up that thing and get to the top, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, th I think that, like, okay, inevitably, right? I'm not going to call the World Series for the rest of my life. Inevitably, there's going to come a time where I'm not at the top of the mountain. I'm not that guy. And I think that, like with Dick or with anybody who got to that spot and then had to, to come down a rung or two, I'm sure that part of you inside is like, man, this stinks. I'd love to still be calling the World Series. But I do think that upon reflection and like i said as i've gotten older and more into the business there's just more perspective that you gain and i mean even like last night doing dodgers reds on a tuesday night that's not any kind of game to write home about but i'm so lucky to be doing that game and i think when you really try to take that kind of that standpoint of gratitude and look at each game is just a chance to remind yourself how insanely lucky you are to be doing these games I don't know. I, I think that, yeah, that there's always going to be that next big thing, right? I'm not doing the Super Bowl. I'm not hosting the Olympics what, or whatever. It's, there's always going to be that next thing. But I think that's in anything in life. There's always yep. going to be the bigger house next door. There's always going to yep. be the shinier car. I think that it's important to just be mindful of, of not always trying to chase that next bigger thing. And really, wherever you are, realizing how lucky you are to be where you are. It's so easy for me to do that now. 
But I, I think that previously and hopefully a long way down the road, that's something that I'll have to, to work on again. You know, uh, it, it makes me uh, circle back to you talking about doing the game last night. And I read recently in an interview you did or a podcast or something that, that you talked about, and man, could I relate to this. After watching baseball the last number of years, uh, and even when I was still announcing local baseball, I felt like this game was dying on the vine and dying quickly. The games were too long. They were too slow. There was no action. Now the rules have changed. And I loved your quote where you, you said to yourself, and hey, tell me if I got this right or wrong, but there were times the last couple of years where you actually have to remind yourself, oh, I do still love baseball, even though baseball yep. was really hard to love. Yeah. Yeah, and I no longer have to remind myself of that. And I think that it because for the reasons you mentioned, like, okay, we love this game, but there were a lot of nights where it was like, man, oh, man, and there's nothing happening. The dude's walking around the mound and then stepping up there and throwing ball four. And the guy is wandering around the dirt circle and coming in and adjusting his gloves. And it's like, geez, Pete's, but – you know, you, you, you still love the game, right? But you had to remind yourself yep. of that. Now, yep. every night, I'm like, man, this is fun. I don't know how anybody could watch this and not think this is lean forward, edge of your seat, fun stuff. I put myself in the shoes of a, a junior high kid who's deciding what sports he likes. I like this now if I'm that junior high kid. I don't know if that was the case a year ago. Oh, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I, and, and, and I think all of a sudden you're seeing, and, and, and whether it's different towns because they're winning or different situations last night, De La Cruz. I mean, who knows mm -hmm. what kind of player this guy turns out to be. But for the first time, at least around these parts, there's at least a little juice and a little vibe in the ballpark. Yeah, no doubt. That guy, uh, he's got the kind of the larger-than-life feeling about him, obviously because he's 6'5", and he is large, but – there's some something glowing about him, some kind of aura about the guy. And, and we'll see. So many guys come up and big league pitching exposes them. But it sure is fun right now. And feeling that buzz around the park last night and what, you know, Tom, is such a great baseball city. That was fun to see, fun to feel. Let me let me ask you a little bit about taking over the whole Dodgers thing. And, and, and you're asked about this frequently. Uh, you know, looking back, I mean, at the time, uh, I'd be curious. Let me Let me start with at the time. When you come in and they bring you in to do Dodger baseball and Vin Scully is still alive and still going strong and all these kinds of things, you know, they, they did not all of a sudden just drop you in there to be the full-time guy and the quote-unquote heir apparent. A lot of people knew that was the plan. A lot of people could think that was the plan. But the way they handled it, what was that like going through that? And, 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 and look, Vin Scully – could figure it out right he's as sharp a guy as it ever lived is that hey this might be the guy that dot 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 mm -hmm. yeah i just i have to give a lot of credit to the team and to lon rosen who kind of yeah. hatched the whole plan where it was I mean, that was really tactfully done i think where it wasn't just suddenly vin is gone and here's this new guy there was that season in 2016 where Vin was doing the home games, I was doing the road games, and I got to ease in. And just the way that it was framed, like, of course, I quote unquote replaced him, but I, I first of all, mentally, I never allowed myself to think that was being the case because I don't think that's the right way to look at it. And more importantly than that, it was never framed that way by the team. 
So they, they did a masterful job of putting me in a position to succeed with the way that it was perceived. And then mentally, I think that I kind of picked up on that cue and, and followed it. And that's one of the reasons why I've, I've not gotten run out of town, I think, because I just uh, I was able to go there and not try to be Vin. I just tried to be myself. And um, over time, with the team winning a lot of games, that's not a small thing in this whole equation. I think they've come to accept me. You always hear frequently the term, you not you don't want to be the guy who replaces a guy. You want to be the guy who replaces a guy that replaces a guy. Yep. You've been through it where you replace a guy. Um, you say you didn't feel the pressure or, or you wouldn't allow yourself to go down that road, but that had mm -hmm. to be a very real presence virtually wherever you went, right? I mean, if you and your wife yeah. go to the grocery store or if you go wherever you go, right, you're in the dog park or what, taking your kids to school, whatever it is, that is still there all the time. Is that right? Yeah, yeah it still is. I still once a week here, you know, that's uh, that's the guy that took over Vin Scully. That's the new Vin Scully. So it's always there, always will be there. I walk into the Vin Scully press box every day, but it really is. So I was doing ESPN and Fox. I was doing Fox stuff at the time and feeling like I was on a good track to maybe one day do the things that we've talked about me dreaming of doing. I didn't see myself necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, taking a team job. This was one, though, that because of that, because of who I'd be following, I couldn't say no to. So it truly did, in a positive way, define the job for me. And, and it is what made it special. It is what made it the job that I wanted. I just was not, as I sat there going into it, am I going to take this or am I not? Could I in 10 years and 50 years say to myself, I didn't take that job out of fear that it wouldn't work. I didn't take that job because I thought that I couldn't be the guy. Like what would it, what would have happened had I taken it? I just don't think that is the way to kind of live your life. And so I, took it and said, let's go be, let's go be myself and um, see where it takes us. But, but allow the responsibility of being the guy to follow Vin, the honor of being the guy to follow Vin, define it as opposed to making that a pressure packed storyline in my head that would keep me from just being myself. You know, so much of uh, being able to do that, you, you mentioned Lon Rosen, you mentioned others, Vin Scully, but, 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 but also so much of that to making it work uh, has to do with the people that you're actually working with every day. Because look, it's no mm -hmm. different than, than, than people who go to work and this person gets promoted, that person doesn't, there can be a jealousy thing, all that sort of thing. I mean, you, are, you, you have been with a great group of guys there. I mean, whether it's Charlie or whether it's Rick Monday or whether it's been Oral Hershiser, I mean, that, that is, is a savvy, professional, warm group of guys to walk into that kind of situation for you. Am I right? Yeah. Oral, especially Tom, he, he's been, I, I tell people the two most important things that have happened for me in this job. First is the team being really good. Honestly, the team's winning a hundred games a year. There's like eight walk-off wins a homestand where that I get to report <laughs> on, you know, if, if it was a hundred losses a year, I honestly don't know if I'd still be there. I, you know how it goes when you deliver bad news. People think you stink. That's right. So that's the biggest thing. But the second thing is Oral. And uh, he's one of my best friends in the world. My third kid's middle name is Oral. 
he's, you know, he's, he's as meaningful of a person in my life as outside of my parents and my own family uh, as I have. So to have not just a good partner, but one of my most special people sitting next to me most days has been a, a huge reason why it's gone the way it has. Um, when now all of a sudden you get to the point where you are doing the World Series for Fox, you take over for Joe last year, uh, you reach that goal, that moment when you find out that you're going to do the World Series, and, and, and now you're replacing another guy who's a legend, right? Because at the end of the day, you can sit around and debate who you like, who you don't like, broadcasters, it's so subjective. But one thing that can never be denied, at least to this point in time, no one has had the career at the network level that Joe Buck has had, uh, whether yep. it's the World Series, the Super Bowls, 20-plus years, blah, 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 blah. Um, and now all of a sudden you're taking over it for, for him. W was that same approach the case for you or was it a different kind of thing? Because as you mentioned earlier, you grew up watching Joe. You didn't necessarily yeah. grow up listening to Vin. Was there a difference? Right. So yeah, definitely a difference, but similarities too, where it's a big part of what makes the gig special is, you know, following Vin, you're following the greatest ever to do it and following Joe, you're following the guy that I grew up listening to call the World Series and to now follow him in that spot. And Joe's become a mentor to me. So, um, yeah, different, but the same in that the guy that I'm following in a lot of ways defines the experience and defines how special it is for me. Um, and, and Joe's somebody that I still talk to often and uh, get help from on, on all kinds of stuff. Going into the All-Star game last year, my first one, Joe gave me his scorebook that he had created. He's a big Kinko's guy, you know, FedEx office, formerly Kinko's. And he made this giant scorebook in order to uh, handle an all-star game with all the players you're going to have. And he gave me that. It's got the last 15 all-star games in it from his, you know, from, from his games. And he passed that on to me. It's got another 20 in there or so. And, uh, that was a really cool thing and that it, it's like an actual physical representation, I guess, of the passing of the torch. And, uh, yeah, I, I got to pull that out pretty soon here. Get ready for a Seattle All-Star game. That'll be exciting. There's no doubt about it. Uh, excitement defines a National Football League. I, I'm asked all the time at the end of the day, you know, you can do one sport for 31 years, in my case with baseball. You can do the NFL for 25 years uh, and some college football. Uh, you know, look. Uh, both of them have huge followings. Uh, the NFL is the king of the jungle, but, but you know, the, the, the difference for you between doing an NFL game and a major league baseball game at the network level is what? Probably just the, the differences in preparation and the idea that, you know, that in football, well, I guess it, my, my baseball prep kind of winds up blending the Dodger stuff with the national stuff. Sure. So football really truly does feel like two teams that you parachute into and you get ready for in a week. Whereas baseball, even though nationally it is that, I kind of just pick up where I am in my prep for the Dodger season. I do my best to keep a cast a wide net in my daily prep so I'm not picking up two new teams. Um, so probably – you know, that, that's probably the most basic way to say they differ. And then when, once you're in the act of calling the game, and you know this as well as anybody, Tom, baseball's more kind of lean back in your chair, kick your feet up, whereas football is 
is white knuckle, leaning forward, standing up for a lot of the game. The act of calling the game is much different. I don't know how, how it was for you, but anytime I head to the airport after the game, I'm like, I feel like I get hit by a bus, man, yep. just after, yep. after a football game with everything you exert in that. So definitely definitely the prep and then the act of calling the game beyond the obvious, uh, obvious things of the differences in the two sports. All right. You're a guy who sets goals. You said that already. You've also talked about how, you know, you've reached a point where, hey, all of this is really good, right, where I am right now. Are you still setting goals? And if so, what are they? Yeah, I think they're more just uh, daily goals and the way I want to live my life and the kind of guy I want to be, as opposed to I want to do X number of World Series or I want to get a shot at doing this sport or this event. I think it really is an appreciation for exactly where I am right now and just daily goals of trying to be a good guy and a good husband and a good dad and, and a great broadcaster too. You know, I, I, I never want to lose sight of how lucky I am to be doing this. Um, my, I, I really look at, you know, what, I, what am I doing it for? Well, I'm doing it to bring joy to people. Right. People that are sitting at home wanting to watch these games and take so much from watching these games. And that's kind of my job and a, on a really deep level is to bring people joy. And so to be as excellent as I can doing that. And I think that happens every day when you're going in and you're doing your prep and you're digging deep to find stories on these players that you can share and, and help bring these players to life for the people at home. So I think my goals are more honed in on just being great every day at whatever it is I'm doing as opposed to anything bigger picture career-wise. And hopefully those those specific day-to-day -day goals can lead to a, a really nice long career. All right, a couple more things and we'll let you get out of here. I, I'm curious, we've talked about the rule changes a little bit and how it's impacted the game, the pace of the game in particular. We had Scott Boris on the other day for a lengthy conversation. And obviously he is presenting one side uh, of, of where he thinks baseball is and should be in regard to uh, salary caps, et cetera, et cetera. Baseball is the only one that doesn't have a, 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 a bottom number you got to reach and the only one that doesn't have a top number that you can't go past. Um, the Dodgers are spending anywhere on a given year 220 to over $320 million a year, right, on team payroll. You've got the Cincinnati's, the Tampa Bay's, Cleveland, whomever else, Oakland, where they're spending, you know, not even a third of that in yeah. some cases. Where do you think all this needs to go ultimately? I mean, it's one thing to say it's never going to happen, but if Joe Davis were the commissioner tomorrow, do you think a salary cap would be a good thing in baseball? I honestly haven't put a ton of thought into that. Um, we don't like – nobody likes the 100 lost teams, the tanking teams. Like the A's are so bad right now. You're always going to have a worst team. You're always going to have a best team in any league, even when you have a salary cap and a more uh, condensed pay structure. But it's just not good for baseball, I don't think, or for any sport when you have a team as bad as Oakland is. I don't know that it's great when you have uh, teams, and, and you know I work for one of them, but teams that spend so much more than everybody else. Uh, so, I don't know. Any kind of parity is good. Uh, and. And seeing a team like the A's, I think the like the A's would be the bigger problem to me than the teams that want to go out and spend. And maybe I'm biased because I work for one of those teams, but I hate the idea of teams losing 100 and 110 games, 
a year, especially when it's a very clear like teardown. Whereas yep. the A's always operate down in that in that realm. This is lower than usual, but you hate to see like it kind of stunk what the Cubs did a few years ago, and you know it worked for them. They won a World Series. The Astros they they have turned it into a dynasty, so it's hard to hate that. But I think that too many teams have followed that path, thinking that. This is just a, a magic fix for what's ailing them. And then you get into these long lulls where they don't win at all. And it's like, what What was this for? We just tanked for four or five years because we could, because we thought it was going to help us win. Instead, we just robbed our fan base and anybody else who's really into the sport of a representative, respectful try at doing what the bottom line is, and that is to win games. Well, Joe, we cannot thank you for your time. Uh, can't thank you enough for your time today. I know you got a lot going on. You're in town and getting ready for the ball game tonight. I hope you enjoy your stay here in town. You're getting out after the game tomorrow. But thanks for making time to join us here today, my friend. Tom, it's always great to talk to you. Really great to catch up, man. All right, man. You take care of yourself. Joe Davis, thank you. Thank you. All right. Great to have Joe Davis with us here today. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Humble guy. That's what I like. I yeah. like the guys who keep it humble. You know, because yeah. it's easy not to be. I mean, it really is. You know, you, you're riding around. I mean, that whole world, when you reach that level, and I've been there, done that, where, you know, you, you're at home and you're flying out to do a Fox Saturday baseball game of the week. I mean, I did this for 12 years, right? Living in Arizona, you get a car that comes to pick you up, right? You read the paper, a cup of coffee on the way to the airport, right? Walk right through, first class seat, get off the plane, another car there picking you up, take you to the hotel. It's not some minor league hotel. It's a big league hotel, right? Yeah, right. And, you know, you're going over there, you're doing all the big events, you're meeting all the big stars, you do the game, car's sitting there waiting for you next to the television truck when the game is over, takes you to the airport if you're flying out after the game. You land in wherever you're landing, doing your next game or landing at home. There's another car picking you up, taking you back home. I mean, you can, uh, you can go from being not so humble or being humble to not so humble at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's always kept it very real. I think it has a lot to do with his background. He's not one of these liberal elites <laughs> that sit in this room, as we learned yesterday. I still can't believe your guy's answer to that question. What? With those the money? of you that weren't with us yesterday. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is what you talk about, troublesome. So Tracy Jones knows this guy whose mother died. So the guy does not want to deal with, as a lot of us don't, all of the stuff that's packed inside of his deceased mom's home. Mm -hmm. So he hires a woman who really doesn't have much financially in her life, hires a woman to go clean out the house. And basically, they're just going to throw everything out. At least that's the way I understood the story. Well, as they're starting to go through different stuff, they're like, no, 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 no. You know, you got to take out the drawers before we carry the, oh, okay, we've all been down that road, right? So they open one of the drawers to take it out. And there's $15,000 inside of one of the drawers. $15,000. This woman finds it. She takes it home. 
She's wrestling with what to do for two days. Doesn't even tell her husband that she's found $15,000. And as I mentioned, this is a, a couple that doesn't have a lot financially. She's wrestling what to do. So we asked the four clowns in this studio outside clowns. of yours truly. What would you do? Would you keep the 15 grand or would you give it back to the guy that is paying you? It's his mother's money. Would you give it back to him? That's what the woman chose to do. That is not what any of these four guys chose to do. They chose to stick it in their pocket and let's pretend it never happened. I think Paul wants to recant on his take. Well, so you know what the funny thing was? Last night, I, I got home and I was talking to my family about some of this stuff. And they had watched the show. And they, they go, Paul, you, you're really keeping that money? They and, were troubled by your decision. They were very troubled by what I had said. and I, They had raised you better than that. And for about five minutes, I was trying to figure out what they were talking about. I couldn't figure it out. And then I realized there were still details of the story that I had missed that I was out on when I, when I was in the bathroom. So, you know, I said in the moment that I was going to keep the money. Didn't have all the facts. I was not presented with all the facts. He saw it was groupthink. We all it said it was groupthink, and I went along with groupthink. But you know what? Maybe I just have to stick along with the groupthink. Maybe I just have to. We're giving you a chance. We're giving. We're giving you a chance. We're giving you. We're giving you a chance. This is worse. You're digging a hole deeper. Oh my god. Did somebody say? Everett says, "Tom, you weren't here Friday when everyone but Paul said they would trade their firstborn for the ability to pitch it." Yeah, we did. Is that true? That is true. So Noah Syndergaard had a quote. Oh my! A couple weeks ago, I tell you, I got to get the hell out of this operation. Show's not even eight months old. So Noah Syndergaard had a quote, Tom. I'm going to catch you up on this. He had a quote where he said, "I wish I would." hypothetically trade my firstborn child to pitch like I used to because Noah Syndergaard stinks now. Yeah. It used to be great. Yeah. And I asked the question, would you guys give up your firstborn son, hypothetically, to pitch like Noah Syndergaard used to pitch? And we all said, yeah, that's an easy trade, Tom. So I'd have $15,000 in my pocket and I have to just make the small trade of my first child to pitch like Noah Syndergaard easy. So that's an easy trade, Tom. You don't even have to think twice about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Would you trade Luke to pitch like Tom Seaver? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Not different a question chance. when you actually have the kid. Yeah. Yeah, I think for in your guys' case, I'll give you a little bit of rope on this one because you don't have a kid yet. The second the child is born, you wouldn't trade it to be the 10-time Super Bowl champ quarterback. Well, it, you know what? After being around you for, for a while, <laughs> I'm not so sure I'm accurate in that assessment. So tell me about the game last night. Paul, let me start. You did not. You went. I went. Reed went. Yeah. Jacob went. Everybody tell me, what was it like down there for you last night? Yeah, I thought last night was maybe the most fun game Reds game that I have ever been to, I think, because it felt to me for the first time, and I've talked about this a lot, that you go to these baseball games over the years, and I could probably count on one hand the amount of Major League Baseball games that I've been to in my life, and I've been to a ton of them, 
where people are on their feet for pitch after pitch after pitch in a sequence where it feels like the game means something. You go to games on a weekday in July, and it's a social event. People care. Maybe it's the ninth inning. People get up, whatever it might be. But I've only been to, I think, one playoff game in my life. I went to a Nationals playoff game in 2016 when they were playing the Dodgers. And that's the only time really in, in a postseason setting where you feel like – now, I have been to two no-hitters. I, I was at Jordan Zimmerman's, and I was at Jake Arrieta's no-hitter in Cincinnati. Heck yeah. I thought last oh, night's God. game. <laughs> Go ahead. I was, I, was at, I was at two no-hitters, and maybe besides that no-hitter in Washington, the Jordan Zimmerman one, because that was a home game. The Jake Arrieta game was a road game, and it was an empty game at that. There weren't that many people there. Mm -hmm. That game last night, it finally felt – like that game mattered. It felt like the Reds winning that game last night meant something. People were on their feet. Every time Ellie De La Cruz came to the plate, the crowd got to its feet. The crowd was on its feet for the entire ninth inning. The rain kind of scared some people away, but for the most part, people didn't leave, even when the Reds were down five runs. It just felt, and the, and the atmosphere after the game, when you were walking by the Bally studio there along the third baseline, and the and they're banging the table and everything, and the crowd's going crazy. It finally felt like this city had turned a corner. And I, I texted Lizzie after the game, and then I saw Charlie Goldsmith had said the same thing, and some other people had tweeted it, that who knows if this is going to turn out to be anything, right? Who knows, as you always say, Tom, if the minor league guys pan out. Right. Who knows what the Reds end up being in two to three years. But if this rebuild turns into something and the Reds win the World Series or at least even compete for a World Series in two to three years, this game last night feels like a game that a lot of people that were there – this is what I texted Lizzie. If the, if the Reds win the World Series in two or three years – if the Reds win the World Series because of this crop of players, last night's game feels like a game – that if you were there, you're going to say you were there for the rest of your life. And I don't think that's being dramatic to say. Because it really feels like last night was the tangible game. Tan it was a tangible feeling that last night the Reds turned a corner. Maybe I'm being overdramatic, but it feels to me like that's what, what happened. And the crowd recognized that moment. And it was cool to be a part of that. Reed. Yeah, it was a terrible experience, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I have this uncanny thing where I keep going to Reds games. And I, I mean, you know, I hate the Reds. You're a baseball guy, though. I like the baseball. Yes, you do. And the Reds just keep winning when I go. It's terrible. I'm a curse. I have cursed Great American Ballpark by every time I show up. The Reds win the ball game. And I thought it finally turned the corner. You know, the Reds are down 8-3. to three, And I'm like, God, the Reds are finally going to lose when I show up. And nope, they come back. And this Ellie De La Cruz guy, Tom... He's a bust. He's a bust. I mean, the first play of the game, down the line, a chance to see his defensive prowess in and out of his glove. Mookie Betts comes on. They score three runs because of it. His first at-bat. Oh, my God. His first swing doesn't even have the patience to see the first pitch in the dirt, Tom. Just swinging a miss. I mean, everyone in the stadium knew he was going to swing at that first pitch. I mean, whatever happened the rest of the game is, is whatever. But I will say 3-2-1 tonight. Great promotion. Best promotion that the Reds have. You can walk Explain up. Explain to those who don't know what 321 is. $3 beers, $2 hot dogs, and $1 ice cream. You walked up to the concession <laughs> stand, got two bush lights and a hot dog, 864 after the tax. 
That's incredible. I didn't think you could tax food or drinks. Well, they do. The, well, they, they do with the Reds games. They do with the Reds games. Maybe it's 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 tax on the alcohol. Maybe. Yeah, it could you be. can't tax food. Well, it was about eight sixty. In all honesty, it was a it was a great experience. It was. I turned to my dad, who's a diehard Reds fan, though he doesn't like to show it. And Ellie De La Cruz ropes that ball in the gap for a double. And I turned to my dad, who is a pretty private man, and you know oftentimes grumpy and he's grinning ear to ear he's grinning ear to ear just because he sees this six foot five sure. stud heard about him and he just rips a ball in the gap i said dad you're, you're gonna want to remember that one for a long time because that might mean something all right your impressions mr tissett in 21 years of being a reds fan i've gone to at least 15 games both of the last two summers i have never seen that stadium the way it was last night sure there's maybe been crowds that have bigger games that meant more but i think the main takeaway was everyone leaving the stadium had real hope in in where the team was going and we haven't had that in years i mean we signed castianos and mustakis and that was you know fun and dandy but that's still you know only so many years of them on a contract, they're older guys, yep. veterans. We have a young core of really, really exciting players. And you saw it with the Bengals when they started to field a competitive team. The city rewarded them. I mean, the NFL schedule maker came out to the beginning of the year this year and said Cincinnati is the best venue for primetime games in the whole league. I've said it for years. If the Castellinis put a fun, competitive team on the field, the city will reward them. And you saw a glimpse into it last night. Hopefully we have a decade more of games like that. Elliot, you weren't there. You're going tonight for Bark in the Park, but uh, you grew up a Reds fan. Right. You were dialed in last night. I was dialed in. I, and you can feel, like, usually you can't feel the energy of the crowd, especially. Hey, wait. Your microphone. Oh, can Here you, we go. You plug it back. I mean, plug it, it was in. a matter. We made it for 50 minutes. On the mic. On the mic. The XLR, just plug that on, in. On the mic. Make that? sure. Unplug it. So this isn't on DLP. Yeah. Plug so it in. Unplug? No, unplug it and plug it back in. Yeah, just plug that back, boy. OJ's 94 yeah, Bronco wants to know, is Elliot dressing up your dog in a costume tonight? Can, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. Uh, no, I will not be dressing um, up my dog. You know, they have those contests. I used to be the judge of those out on the... <laughs> Seriously. Because I'm on the board of the SPCA Cincinnati. <laughs> okay. So, um, and have been forever. So, they have those contests right outside the plaza area there on the, on the first base side where they have... Like best costume, they have um, a dog that looks most like its owner. <laughs> Might you fall into either one? Well, this is the latter category. Well, no, uh, this dog, my dog, does not look like me at all. It is a very <laughs> tiny little puffball. It oh, is a little tiny puffball. Okay, is what, is what this dog is. But no, the energy was great last night on on the TV broadcast. I, I don't know if you watched the post game with Lacure and. Uh, Brian Giesens, I can't pronounce that Giesens name. Law. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they couldn't get a word out. The, the the fans were banging on the on the set. It was amazing. It was incredible. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to go tonight. I think there will be more people there tonight if I had to bet because we now have more time to uh, buy tickets. So I, I'm I'm very 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 excited. All right. Now someone asked a question in the chat. We were talking about this beforehand and looking up the attendance last night. You know, look. Outside of opening day, we've talked about it. Outside of the Zach Brown band concert, uh, those are the only two sellouts of the year. Uh, most games during the week they're playing, and it doesn't matter who they're playing. Could be the Cardinals, could be the Brewers, could be the Cubs, could be whoever. You know, they're getting eight, nine, ten, eleven thousand fans, tops. Last night they get twenty-two, a little more than twenty-two. 
Um, is that a good crowd or a disappointing crowd? I think on late notice, I think that was about what I expected. I'm not sure I expected much more than what we got last night just because of, look, they announced it at almost 1 o'clock the day of, which is generally what you do on a, on a prospect like that. You know, some people were saying, oh, if they'd have had more time. That's not, that's not how it works generally. You, you announce it the day of, and Ellie De La Cruz got – which, by the way, wait, wait, can we talk about his call-up video for a second? Am I the only one – am I allowed to say it was kind of lame? Like I have not seen it. He was in a hotel lobby. It is lame. It was – like sometimes you see like it's choreographed. They're in the locker room, and like somebody comes in, and it becomes a whole deal. I know that's just how it had to happen. But it felt it felt a little weird. I don't know. All these teams have done such creative videos and everything, and they were just standing in the lobby of like a Hampton Inn, and they were like, "Here, pack your bags. You're going to Cincinnati or something." Well, they said it's skyline time. That was the line in the video. Oh, was it? It's skyline. Time. Oh, okay. Now I have no. If I were a betting man, which you're not, which I'm not, but if I was. Mm-hmm. I would place a lot of cash on the very real possibility that Ellie De La Cruz has no idea what the hell skyline time is. You may get to say bet. That is fair. That is. I fast. mean, if you had a chance to make that bet, would you make that bet? <laughs> yeah, I probably would. There's, there's no doubt in my mind he doesn't know what skyline now, is. He will soon. Right. And, and, and look, Joey Votto's been here for 20 years and says he's never tried it. Right. Right? Daylight Cruz is going to get in there and try it sooner or later. But when he's standing in a hotel lobby in Louisville or wherever they were. Yeah. Um, so the I don't know if it was because they realized that it was bad. Oh, they deleted or, it. But they deleted the video. It had 1.2. Really? It had 1.2 million views. It wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't that. No, it wasn't that bad at all. It, in fact, it wasn't like bad. Bad's probably the. The wrong word to use. It was just kind of cheesy. Lame. You wish it was better for you someone wish it like was better. Ellie. For Ellie, you wish it was right. better than just the manager handing you your bag in front of the team. And, a, and like nobody came up and gave him a That's hug. Right. That's right. You they, know, they're like, just... get out of here, you stiff. It's time for me to play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, this is the problem I have with the Reds, guys. They don't even care about their own superstars. They don't even care. Oh, so, come on. So now he's a superstar. <laughs> Lord, those well, guys were probably up the <laughs> night before on a bus. And I mean... Playing until, you know, 2 in the morning and they're catching a 6A flight. Come on. They re- they shoot this lame video. They put it out to the world. See, it's got a little bit of a negative feedback. And they're like, ah, well, we don't need to put that on anymore. I feel like, we'll it's, delete the, I that. Feel, I feel like it's a little different when you know Ellie's coming up, though. Like, everybody knows he's the best prospect. Everybody knows he's going to be a red. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think – I don't know what the excitement level – oh, Ellie's going up today? I'm shocked. Like, nobody – like, there's not a there's, – you're not shocked. No. No, no. We spent entirely too long right there talking about the call-up video. No, but I think that you bring up. But I I did. I I don't know what I was expecting, but maybe a little bit better than the hotel lobby. Somebody said, uh, Abraham says, John Sadak studied the dictionary for five hours before game time trying to find words to describe Ellie last night. His first at bat, he described him as a unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, man, that's pretty creative. Pretty creative. Because it's true. Yeah. I mean, pretty creative stuff. Um, look, Sir Boy Wonder, I'm not going down this road. All right? I'm not going down this road. And for those of you in the chat, you know what I'm talking about. And that's by the hype. 
That's all. Sir Boy Wonder is like the Rain Man today. <laughs> buy the hype. Tom, buy the hype. Tom, buy the hype. I'm, I'm not buying the hype. I'm not. Quick segue. Speaking of Rain Man, Casey's Wedding, right next to where that movie was shot. Right down the right? road. Yeah, yep. you know where that, that seminary is? is? Yeah. Yes, I do. It was yes, I do. a quarter of a mile, half a mile away from there. Yeah. That was a big league movie. For those of you that have never seen it, phenomenal. One of the great movies of all time. Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. We're hanging out right here in Cincinnati. Yep. But anyway, back to Sir Boy Wonder. Uh, <laughs> look, I'm not buying it. It's not that I'm, 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 I'm against it or rooting against it. That has nothing to do with it. I have said before, and I will say it again and again and again and again to the point where many of you feel like it's tired. It's one game. I get the hype. I love the idea about the hope, right? Your guy, Obama, all about hope and change. (laughs) Yes. Hope and change. Our guy. Yeah. Boy, a lot of hope and change there. But look, he, he... you want to be able to have hope. I'm being very serious about this. I mean, it, no matter what it is, getting up in the morning and hope today's better for your kids. Hope that your marriage is better. You hope that something happens good at work. You hope your health report is good. If you're a sports fan, man, you're hoping your team after being down and they bring these guys up. Each and every one of us wants hope. And last night, it certainly gives you hope. Without a doubt. De La Cruz, number one prospect in baseball. We didn't even mention that Matt McClain was a guy who had the base hit to win the game, right? Steer bust open his lip going over there on the foul. See that? I did not see that he busted open. So he goes over near the stands. Ball, he's trying to chase it. The ball hits the stands and pops back Mm. up and hits him right in the lip. Splits it wide open. Rest of the game. He's playing with a butterfly in that thing and a bunch of gauze. Looks like he's chewing tobacco in there. Gamer. 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 So, you know, look. And there's Sir Boy Wonder again. Super chat. There he Super is. chat. Tom, what are your thoughts on uh, Trace's guy, Kevin Newman, being the only red starter to not record a hit? 0 for 5. You know what? I don't have any issues with Kevin Newman. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. Uh, Mouse Cop, give me a break. Give me a break. Tom is a closet Cub fan. Yes, you are, Tom. We know it. No, I am not. I am not. I have nothing against him, and I'm not a closet Cub fan. You look back upon your years on the north side. Great time. Fondly. Yeah, I mean, USA veteran retired. We salute you each and every day, USA veteran retired. Thank you. He says, earn the hype. Earn the hype. Was there hype around the Punisher? There was. There was a lot of it. And you were drinking that Kool-Aid every day yes, in August, September, weren't you? That's a great nickname. That was a great nickname for a great player. What country is he in playing baseball right now? He just got DFA'd in Japan. All right. The amount of 44 right. Aristides Aquino jerseys last night with De La Cruz taped over the name on the back, unbelievable. <laughs> Wasting no time. I mean, Eric Davis. Nobody. I mean, he may not have had as much hype. As Ellie De, uh, De La Cruz. But, but, I mean, Davis, you know, it was, uh, it was just celebrating uh, 25 years ago, whatever it was, uh, last month. And we'll pull up those stats sometime. Of the first two months of that, the, the season of Eric Davis. Now, you want to talk about some, 
some numbers. St I mean, like stupid stuff. Like you can't even believe a guy actually did that. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He's a National League Player of the Month. He's hitting two or three grand slams that month. It was insane. And Davis turned out to be a hell of a player. I think we all agree. If now you talk about, would you make, would you take this right if it was presented to you? For Ellie De La Cruz, right now somebody says to you, in one camp, we don't know what's going to happen. It could be anything from here to the stratosphere, right? Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. other camp is, he is what Eric Davis was. What are you taking, Elliot? Um, yeah, I'd like Eric Davis. Okay. Eric Davis is pretty good. So if he, if he came Eric Davis, I'll take that route. All right. I'll take Eric Davis, but I think he's going to be better than Eric Davis. Okay. I asked, I asked Jacob this exact question yesterday, Tom. I said, what is, and, and I, and, you know, comparisons, the thief of thief of joy. So I don't want to, you don't want to, you know, do this, but I asked Jacob, if you had a baseline, Ellie De La Cruz has to top this person's career. What is the baseline? And you know what he said? Jacob, what did you say? Barry. He said, if he's not as good as Barry Larkin, he'll be disappointed. I Barry want Larkin, Barry. last time I checked, is a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer, Tom. And that's, that's the hype that they're trying to get you to buy into. Okay, but he just said that he thinks he can be better, but if he had to make the bet, he'd take the Eric Davis. Paul? I mean, I'm kind of on that same train with these guys. Why not Larkin or, or Eric Davis? One of those. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about some. Yeah, I think so. I, if 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 Barry Larkin is the baseline, I'm just gonna tell you guys, you got a very small percentage of being happy about this thing. If we can't do this right now, we can't do this ever. That's so, that's why we're doing it. Let's have fun right now, right. Barry Larkin. If he's not Barry Larkin. I'm upset. I'm just, I'm just telling you guys, you guys are giving you a very small window to be happy about this. I'm not saying that L.A. De La Cruz can't be better than Barry Larkin. In fact, I think he certainly has the, he certainly has the ability to do that. But when he is the baseline, you're just probably not going to be happy at the end of the whole thing. That's all I'm saying. Don't, don't like comparison. As long as he's Robbie better than Zach Cozart, we'll be good. Well... The Reds have been searching. What about for better than Jay Bruce? Jay Bruce left here, ranks among the top ten in multiple, multiple categories, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, it's probably stupid of me to ask about Jay Bruce because these guys have already said they're thinking better than Barry Larkin. Jay Bruce was no Barry Larkin. Jay Bruce had a great major league career. I feel like Jay Bruce is a more accurate. I mean, 319 home runs. He's, of course, a power hitter, not a, not a middle infielder. It, Jay Bruce is a more accurate baseline, if, if you want to do a baseline. Because three-time All-Star, 30 home Here runs a year. a long time, healthy right. by and large, right. unlike Davis. If, if he, I say Jay Bruce, if he, if he performs worse than Jay Bruce, then you can be disappointed a little bit. I will say that it was very interesting to hear Barry Larkin uh, talking about De La Cruz because he's gotten to know the young man uh, very well. He talked about going down uh, from a time he was 16 years old after the Reds signed him. Uh, to quote Barry, he said he weighed 120 pounds, maybe. Uh, and 
Larkin had very good insight into uh, kind of the personal side of, of De La Cruz. Talked about how humble he is uh, and how he wants to be great and how he almost quit and all of these kinds of things, which, you know, we tend to, uh, I've always found, especially with the Latin American players, uh, and that's not to dismiss the American players because, you know, but by and large, let's, let's be honest about it. Most of the American-born players, most, are white and they're from the suburbs and they were growing up playing summer ball where mm -hmm. their parents could afford to send them to play summer ball. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't have challenges in their life. Some have lost a parent. Some have lost a sibling. Some do come from the inner city, right, where it's more of a challenge and they, right. they're not afforded some of those things that, that maybe the white suburban kid is. But the Latin American kids, and I had never been to the Dominican Republic until two months ago. And man, I mean, I've read about it for 35 years, but until you see it, there's poverty in this country. It is not in the same galaxy as poverty in the Dominican Republic. I mean, they're using guava leaves for gloves. This is not an exaggeration. You know, baseball's laying around. There's no Dick Sporting Goods store to go down and pick up a bucket of balls. So when I read the stories about some of these guys and these kids that are coming up from some of these countries that are as poor, as poor, as poor, as poor can get, uh, it, it is mind-boggling. And they were saying that last night, actually, his English is good enough. I would challenge Ellie De La Cruz. And I've always said this. Sammy Sosa, right, and A. Eugenio Suarez were two of the guys that I was around, and I was there when both of them came to the big leagues. Sosa came up with the White Sox for a short time. Yep, then in he's the traded over in the, the Rangers. Cubs, but he's still a young guy. And he comes up to the Cubs, and he made the decision. He said, you know what, I, I'm doing all interviews and I'm doing them all in English. And yes, I'm scared to death because if I say something the wrong way, because I don't understand the way maybe it should be said, maybe people think I'm stupid or God forbid you say something in a way that it comes out that all of a sudden you are a whatever, right? Especially in this day and age. Sammy said, Sammy said no, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And he just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And I had just such incredible respect for the guy. And Suarez was the same way. Suarez used to challenge all the time. He would challenge guys on his team that would come to the big leagues. Latin American guys, Spanish-speaking guys. He'd say, look, you, you got to do it. Put yourself out there, you know. And, uh, and I understand why those guys would be scared about that stuff. I totally understand it. Uh, but... I hope De La Cruz, because Larkin said his English is good enough where he could start to do it. And I know it's only one day in the big league, so it's maybe getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But I hope he doesn't. Because, look, people, and there was a big deal made about this, like you were saying something bad about somebody a couple of years ago. I can't remember who it was, said they wish Shohei Otani. Stephen A. Smith. Stephen, or, 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 but somebody else locally got in trouble. Oh, okay. And, of course, they turned it into, like, some bigotry, racial, you know, stupid. Not the way it was said or meant at all. The chances of the fans being able to warm up to anybody that can communicate with them in the same language with them 
right? You don't hold it against it if they can't. But it's only natural that that's the truth. That is the truth. Because all of a sudden, in the pregame show interview, instead of sitting there, and I've done 10,000 of these, where you're sitting there with an interpreter. And right before you turn the camera on, you know the guy can speak good English. But you can understand and appreciate why he might be scared to do it. Certainly get it. But, you know, for the people around the Reds and, and the people around the um, uh, De La Cruz, I would highly recommend uh, taking the chance because you're going to get a lot of leash in this town um, because they love the guy already. Yeah. Been here one day. Yeah. Right? Right. All right, Steve Flesh here yet? Steve Flesh is not here yet. All right, let me make sure I got him at the right time. Let's take a, uh, let's take a time out, and I will uh, check in with him. And um, I hope I didn't ask him. Let's take a timeout. We'll be back in a minute. Ham and Eggers, Mr. President. He called the combo, by the way. Did you see that? He did. He called it months ago. He said the PGA will be begging Liv. DT47. To join ranks. He made the call. Just saying. Just D saying. DT47. Just saying. It's that type of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. That door. Uh oh, huh? are we gonna refocus? Yeah, look at oh, this. Oh, read mouse. Hey, we switched. Oh man. Well, we're both. Am blind. I the? Do you need me to start for the Dodgers tonight? Hey, if you want to come and start, Crosley Field, Dodgers versus the Flying Tigers, 8:30 p. Late one. All right. The question that is on everyone's mind isn't: Are the Bengals better than they were at the beginning of last season? Isn't is Ellie De La Cruz going to be the greatest Red of all time? It is. Are you still drinking regular water? And did you know that alkaline water has been shown to have superior hydration benefits versus regular water in its clinical study? And there's a new premium water, alkaline water out there. It's right there. Pani. I have to tell you guys, that stuff's amazing. Made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. It uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Please visit their website at pawneywater.com. That's P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Paul's been drinking it, and he looks younger already. He really does. As if I needed that, but yeah. I do. Right. Uh, want to tell us about Encore? Yeah, Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work from home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Drink. Pawnee. Bet with. Bet Fred. Get your coffee from. United Dairy Farmers. And. Get your technology solutions from, from Encore Technologies. There it is. Love that. That is, uh, I think that's all the boxes we had to check on that one. Yeah, there's a, we'll put this, go ahead and put this away. Sorry about the, the mix up. I guess we just. It's all right. We, that'll happen. What, uh, anything on your mind? Anything on your guys' mind? Yeah. Yeah, I got this on my mind. I, I, I you know, I, I've, been, I've been trying to think about this. Paul, when do you think Xavier's going to get to a Final Four? Ooh. <laughs> oh, man, that was original. That was a good one. That was a good that one. That was a good one. You got anything else? Well, you guys asked what was on my mind. That was what was on my mind. You got anything else from the 60s, Elliot? El Elliot. No, I, 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 listen, I just, I, you guys said, 
what's on your mind? That's what came up to me. All right. Mind. Elliot, Hal right. has, Hal has been a UC basketball fan. No, no, you can say whatever you want. I just was expecting a little more originality. What year were you? Okay. What year were you born, Elliot? 99. Ah, about the last time that UC was good. This makes about sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you were the jinx. <laughs> Maybe it's you, Elliot. Well, I found out the reason Steve is not with He is on Central Time. So he just uh, said to me, oh, man, I'm calling in now. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That'll well, happen. Right. Not, the, not the first time that Central no, Time has tripped somebody no, up. No, no, no. He just played great in that tournament. Do we have that video, by the way? Well, we let's do. wait until he we gets do. on. He, he, he is here. Do you want me to play it before he hops in, or do you want me to? Let, let, let's put him up on the screen, and we're going to replay. Steve Flesh is on central time. Thank God uh, he, he's not using a sundial, for crying out loud, to, to get on this <laughs> program today. Steve, how you doing, man? I'm good, dude. I'm so sorry. I forgot what uh, – hold on. Let me get me centered up here. I forgot I'm on Central Time and you're running East Coast. So, anyway, my apologies. No, no, no need to apologize. Man, you've been playing great. You know, before we get to this live thing, I'm going to show this video. Yep. Walk me through what was going on here. This was from this past weekend where you Bar played five, so 15th. well. But walk us through this the shot. Third for Steve Flesh. Well, I flared a hybrid into the bunker uh, from like 225. And uh, look at my caddy's reaction. I love it. I love he's stomping the rake. He's all jacked up. Uh, uh, anyway, I caught a good lie, but that's just the worst place to miss it because you're about 10 feet below the level of the green. But, you know, I, I'm a good bunker player because I miss a lot of greens. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I just happened to hold that one. But I had a good feeling about it. I had a great lie, which uh, I needed because I needed to be able to put a little spin on the ball. So worked out, but you don't expect to make them. You just you just try and execute what you can. You know, the last time we had you on, you were getting ready to go through this run that you're on of three straight tournaments. I think you said you were going to be on the road three or four weeks in a row. You play in the PGA Championship. You finish 10th there. You finish in a tied for six over the weekend uh, at the Principal Charity Classic. Uh, got to be, I mean, I, naturally, got to feel good to be playing well. Boils down to putting, Tom. And I've putted well the last couple weeks. Uh, I've made very few bogeys. I think in, let's see, 72 and 54 holes, however many holes that is, I've only made like a handful of bogeys. So, you know, I don't, I don't generally, I'm not a guy who makes eight birdies around. Uh, but I play hard courts as well. I, can't, I keep the ball in play. Been driving it well. My iron play's been okay. Putted good, which always helps. So not making a ton of mistakes, which on our tour you can't really afford to because the tournament's 54 holes. It's a little bit of a sprint. You know, I think Stricker made one bogey last week. Uh, Stephen Eames made, you know, the who won made one bogey in 54 holes. It's, I mean, last week's course wasn't ridiculously tough. A little bit tricky. You can make bogeys out there, but... You know, again, putting makes up for a lot of mistakes, and I've been putting well the last, you know, couple weeks. So, you know, it, it's – this game is, is is cyclical. It's like baseball. You know, you get into a, a, a good streak at the plate, you hit well, and then all of a sudden for no reason you lose it for a few weeks. So, um, you know, I'm just in a good run right now. You know, it's so interesting you talk about it. I mean, I've heard guys say forever and a day just because I like following the sport and I like following sports in general, but I've heard that line about, you know, you got to be able to putt. You got to be able to putt. You hear it on telecast week after week after week. 
Um, but, but, but my son was a caddy last year in the LPGA event that they had here in Cincinnati last year. So he's a caddy for this hot shot up and comer out of the University of Georgia who's from Cleveland, Ohio. And so I walked for four days. She made the cut uh, as an amateur, um, made the cut and walked for four days. And it really is so true. I mean, the difference just watching those four days and really watching, and she'd be paired with two different people, obviously, every day. But the ones who could knock in the putt, as opposed to the ones that would leave it just off the lip, or they'd have a long putt, and now they'd end up turning that into a three putt. Um, it, it really is amazing uh, how critical that part of the game is and well, yet everybody me, just wants to talk about hitting the ball 8,000 yards, right? Let me break it down, not to cut you off there, but um, putting, like I say, makes up for a lot of mistakes. But here's, here's, here's the gist of it. If you're not putting well, it puts so much pressure on the entirety of the rest of your game. You, you now have to, if you miss a green, you now got to chip it closer because – you feel like if I don't chip it close, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to make par, right? Um, it puts pressure on your iron play to actually hit the green. So now, in order for your iron game to be good, you got to drive it in play. You got to drive it in the fairway, may, maybe. So if you're not putting well, it goes back all the way through the rest of your game to the tee, where now every aspect of your game is under fire. If you're putting well, you feel like you can drive it anywhere, get it up around the green. If you miss the green, no big deal because I can chip it in, you know, five, six feet, and I can save par. It, it makes everything – you sleep better if you're putting well. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, meals taste better. It's just way easier. If you're putting like crap – Nothing is easy. It's it's stressful from the time you wake up in the morning, the time you go to bed the night before thinking about what's going to come the next day. It's amazing how that one aspect of the game affects your life when you do this for a living. So um, look at the guys on the PGA Tour. Guys who are putting well, play well, period. Scotty Scheffler, he's not putting well now, but he's hitting it like a rock star. But normally – his game revolves around how great of a short game and a putter he is. Look no further than Rory. Rory's game lives and dies with his putting. The guy hits it like, like a king. But last week, the last day, he didn't make anything on the greens. I mean, it's just putting exposes your game to the biggest, you know, level where at the, at the highest level, if you're not putting well, you're not going to win. I mean, it's that simple. Where were you when you found out about this PGA Live thing? Waking up in my room where I am now. I mean, I honestly, I try to get off Twitter, but I like Twitter because it's, I mean, it's, I'm political, but just all the information you get about everything, right? But I woke up yesterday morning and I saw that and my phone was buzzing from my best buddy down in Jacksonville. He said, are you seeing this? And I was like, oh, my God. And I wanted to just take a day off from Twitter. It didn't happen. But, um, man, that was a shocker, I think, to every player in the game um, that that happened. 
I, you know, I can only imagine. Well, let, let's back up a second. I mean, look, you're no different than, than, than Colin Morikawa. I mean, he sends out on Twitter. You saw it. It's nice to wake up in the morning uh, and, right. and read uh, the news about what's going on in the game I play professionally on Twitter. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, you, you won on the PGA Tour four times. You made over 400 career starts. Uh, you know, what do you think is going through? Because we really haven't heard yet from the big guys yet, right? We haven't heard from, or at least unless something's happened this morning. We haven't heard from Rory. Yeah. Haven't heard from Tiger. Yeah. Are they out? He Rory? Made it, yeah, Rory okay. made a statement this morning. All right, so what did he say? He basically said whether you – I mean, I don't know I don't know if he knows much about the details of it, to be honest with you either. But he just said whether you like it or not, Saudi wants to make a big impact in the game of golf. Hopefully this is this works out for the best. I mean, it was a lot of blanket statements. He feels a little bit like he was the, a scapegoat in this. Uh, hung out to dry. I would agree with him. He said he never was offered money by Liv to come play, which I didn't know. I think everybody assumed he was offered hundreds of millions. But, um, you know, then somebody said, well, what about the guys who were offered money and turned it down? Should they be paid like a reparation? He goes, well, that would be nice, but I don't know how that, you know, what context that would ever play out in which it'll never happen but um i my opinion um two things i think the tour in this entry antitrust lawsuit didn't want to expose a lot of stuff which i don't why would anybody right and i think i think that had a big impact on why this this deal came about but i also think in the forefront was they raised these purses to 20 million, these designated events, like the memorial was last weekend. You know, the sponsors are like, wow, we've had to go from 10 to 20 million, like like in, in the snap of a finger. Where are we in five years? Are we do we have to be at 30 million? How do you justify that to your stockholders to say, oh, by the way, you know, so just say it's John Deere, you know, who's got a great event up there in Illinois. And they're not one of the designated events, but they will be next year, I believe, to you know, to boost their event. Like, where do you go in five years? Are we going to have to put up thirty million now? When when a like at the memorial last year, last week, I don't know who the presenting sponsor is. Uh, it used to be Morgan Stanley. I I, I can't remember now, but um, they got to put up twenty million for the purse. Now they also got to put up another ten or fifteen million for the TV contract. So they're in for $35 million for this year. Where are you in five years? Are we at $40 million? I mean, how do you justify that to, I mean, what's considered probably an elitist sport, you know, golf. I mean, it's, you know, predominantly white and, um, you know, it's a niche sport. It's not the NBA. It's not, you know, uh, NFL, MLB. I don't know how you can justify those purses. And I think the tour probably got a little blowback from their sponsors thinking what's the long game here how much money are we talking and i think that squeezed jay's you know um time frame because it's not an easy sell and you know the saudi the public investment fund of the saudis it's a bottomless well oil well so to speak 
and they have so much money. This was a great way to, per you know, ensure the longevity of the PGA Tour. Now, that's my speculation. I don't know, but to me, um, those two things really kind of come to the forefront in my thinking of why this played out like it did. Okay, being on the tour as long as you were, and now on the on the Sea Champions Tour, Seniors Tour. Um, what are a couple of things? I mean, you alluded to it there a little bit, but but what are a couple of things that maybe the most of us are not talking about that a guy like you would be thinking about that you're really interested to see what happens moving forward now? I mean, there was the whole team golf thing and live, you know, all these different kinds of things. What is it that Steve Flesh and perhaps some of the other tour players are most interested in hearing about from a detail standpoint. Jack Nicholas said, I can't wait to read the details. Well, they, <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but, but trying to step back and look at this, the announcement of it to me is weird too, because there's so many details that aren't worked out. I'm like, did somebody get wind of Jay Monahan with um, Yasser Al-Ramayan having these meetings? I mean, it's been going on for seven weeks now, right. and they kept it secret from all these players. Well, did somebody find out, and, and, and those guys thought, oh, my God, we don't want this to leak. We need to get it out there. Because there's so many details that are up in the air. Eligibility is is the biggest thing like you know you talk about the team concept i don't think that was ever catching on you know um live still didn't have a, a really viable tv deal you know it's streaming it's on cw yep. they're playing modern family versus showing a playoff in the event i mean that says so much that the concept's not catching on i still haven't bought into the team concept i i mean to backtrack one, one, one thing, the two majors, the PGA and Augusta, that just played out over the last month, it was so much better having Brooks and Phil and DJ and Cam Smith playing those events, infinitely more interesting with those guys playing because they're the best in the world still. Um, getting back to that, I think the TV ratings have kind of been a little eh with the PGA Tour events because not everybody's in them. Not everybody's in those events. So, to me, they've got to work out eligibility. There's a lot of guys who went to live. Cameron Tringali, Harold Varner, Taylor Gooch. Um, that now where do they go? Because they only had one more year of eligibility on the PGA Tour, which is this past year. They left. Where do they go? You know, are they now Corn Ferry bound? Are they Q School bound? Are they going to be given their year of eligibility back, which will cause a total shitstorm, so to speak? I mean, um, DJ, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, major winners have eligibility. Are they just welcomed back in? No big deal. Is there a, there's been talk that they're, they're going to get fine. They're going to appeal to come back, but they're going to have to pay a reparation like a fine. Well, what what would that be? You know, um, DJ Phil Brooks have these multi-year contracts. Well, if Live now ceases to exist in its current fashion, is their contract 
now only paid up through the two years they've played, or does it continue for two more years? I mean, I, there's so much to unpack with all this. I don't, and there was so little detail about any of it yesterday. I can't, I can't help but to think they were forced to announce this yesterday without having all the details worked out, which, man, I, I don't know. It, it's a lot, you know, it's, there's, there's more questions, obviously, than answers that came out yesterday. And I think that's one of the things that, like, players are upset about. You know, players in the meeting yesterday, the player meeting yesterday in Canada, most of those players, Rory's there because he's the defending champion, but the the, the majority of the players there yesterday were um, guys who basically are seeking eligibility year to year. There's not a lot of ton of tournament winners there who who know that hey I'm exempt on the PGA Tour for two or three years. There are guys who are year to year, and they're like, where do we stand? These fifty, these forty eight players on the Live Tour, I'd say 25, 20, 25 of them. Abraham Answer, who went, Joaquin Neiman, a lot of guys may, maybe not household names, but they have eligibility and they're PGA Tour players. Are they just welcome back? Well, every 10 guys that are welcome back, 10 that are there now got to go. There's only so many spots. So a lot of jobs, a lot of careers up in the air after that announcement yesterday. And, you know, and that, everybody wants really to know where they fit in. That, that, that is really interesting because that's something that guys like me and a lot of others don't think about is there's only X number of spots to be a PGA Tour player. You've got to work your ass off for forever just to, and then play really well when it matters. It's harder now than it's ever been to get that card. Uh, and, and, yeah. and, and then you get into, Steve, the whole... Yeah. Political... Morality. Money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, that's what it is. People don't like talking about it. But, uh, the, you know, the, the families from 9-11 and Monaghan came out right from the beginning when Liv started... Uh, in concert with the families from 9-11. He got up uh, in front of the microphone and talked about how he had friends die on 9-11 and the ties to Saudi Arabia, how he had loved ones and friends, and, and here were the families of those that had lost relatives, and now all of a sudden, here he is in bed with the Saudis. I... I so, Look, I have been yeah. a hypocrite many, many times in my life. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and act like it. I'm above it all. Hey, we I, all I, have. I, I mean, we all, all But I mean, this to me is just, uh, look, 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 I mean, I was born at night. It wasn't last night. I've been around professional sports my entire life. And I, I, I've been the first one that has always said, never be fooled when it comes to a free agent in baseball. You may think he loves your city. But money talks and bullshit walks at the end of the day more times than not. But this thing to me is 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 about as as um, slippery as any of them I can ever remember. I tell you what blew me away in the press release. They said that Jimmy Dunn, he's the president of a lot of a lot of you know a golf club called Seminole down in in. Uh, in West Palm Beach, he they said he brokered this deal. He's a board member of the PGA Tour. And Jimmy Dunn's office lost 66 people in 9-11 in the Twin Towers. And he brokered this deal yesterday with the PGA Tour and the Saudis. And I'm like, what? I mean, I, 
it blew me away. He he is. I mean, he's taking care of the families of the people that that of the of that were in his office that day. He set up funds for him and all that. And now, like, you know, I'm just like, there's so many. Like, it boil. It bottom line is money talks like you say business is business and 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 morality gets thrown out the door i mean does this open up i mean obviously you know the nba's got ties to china and everybody's all over that yeah everybody's all over that does this open the door for mlb nfl is there going to be a saudi-owned team they're already in um you know football over soccer premier leagues yep you know they're already in there i mean this is I didn't realize how big a deal this was internationally until I flipped through the news stations last night. Yep. CNN, MSNBC, you know, Fox News. They all were not, they were just, it wasn't just a ticker along the bottom. They were devoted prime time segments to this merger. This is a big, huge deal. Um, I don't know if Jay will make it through this, Hart, the commissioner. I, I mean, a lot of a lot of players do not believe he should he should continue because of the lack of, you know, transparency and communication with the players. I mean, just a year ago, he said, "You will never join with Live. This is a players tour. This tour is run by the players." Hey, a lot of guys found out on Twitter yesterday that this went down. So much for it being run by the players, and I, I agree. You can't have the players running the asylum. You know, a lot of times when it comes to the business of the tour, but. Wow, a heads up might have been nice, but yeah. I get where. Hey, deals like this are always done behind closed doors, and business is business. But wow, this was a shock to everyone. I ju- I just wonder what the you know I mean. Look, and 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 I don't care where people stand on the whole and multitude of topics, but we have seen so uh, so much, um, uh, you know. Uh, people just being really upset at different corporations and companies for various reasons all over the country, right? Whether you're talking about Bud Light and there's a laundry list of other ones that have been in the newspaper and and on television here in just the last couple of weeks, okay? I don't care where you stand on any of those issues. It doesn't make any difference to me. The, The bottom line is, is we are seeing consumers start to say, enough is enough for whatever reason. And in this case, as it pertains to the Saudis, do you think that we end up being in a position? And I found one of the most interesting little nuggets in an article I read about this is that it's not just the Monahans of the world, right? It's all the way down to the guy who's rooting for the soccer team that the Saudis bought over in Europe. They were one of the worst teams perennially every single year. Their hope, their fans had no chance. They spent no money. Now all of a sudden they're going out and they're buying all the best players and you've got Joe Sixpack, who all of a sudden is all in rooting for his team. They've stunk forever, even though the money they're paying guys came from Saudi Arabia. Do you suspect we're going to see any kind of, you know, sort of revolt in the sport of golf over this? (laughs) Uh, Or do we just forget about it in a year like we do everything else? Yeah, you know what? I Unfortunately... Or fortunately, I think I think for the game of golf, we need to get back to less division. You know, the, this live controversy the last couple of years, it's been exhausting. I've yeah. been so sick of talking about it. 
hopefully this makes that go away. But the problem, the, the root of the evil still exists. It's still Saudi buying it. It is sports washing. You know, for a lot of people who you throw that term around, it is sports washing. They're trying to improve their image internationally for their crimes against humanity. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Phil and, and a lot of the guys, you know, they're, oh, that's not the case. Well, yeah, it is. But, I mean, the way they treat women, the, you know, the, you know, it, it's it's terrible. But in, in a year, it'll probably go away. But what happens to live to me is my biggest question because I think it's gone. I think, you know, people are like, oh, no, they said live's going to continue. Well, live has a schedule for this year. That's it. 23, that's it. What happens in 24? Are they still going to have these, you know, the range goats and high flyers and all these teams? I mean, I, I don't see how that exists. This was about the, the PIF fund, the public investment fund, getting in and taking over, you know, part ownership with the PGA Tour. That's what this is about. I don't, I think Live was a mechanism for them to do this. But I just don't see Liv continuing in its current form. Team golf. I mean, Rory's not going to all of a sudden be part of a team here, you know, playing golf. It's about what last week in the majors was. It's about what, you know, individuals in this game. It's not a team. The PGA Tour, you know, won't, isn't going to be 45 team events now. It's not going to happen. Too many players. Right. You know, it's it's how they work that out, I don't know. But this, but that you know, 12 teams of four guys, the current live model isn't sustainable um, when you have 200 guys eligible to play the PGA Tour. All right, so what's next up for you? Where are you off to next? Where are you playing next? I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, great town. Up here. Oh, and, uh, great town. Yeah. A lot of, lot of Badger fans up here. Wow. <laughs> you go everywhere. They got – They've got this big inflatable badger out on the 14th tee. I just want to hit a driver right into it. But, uh, um, I'm, you know, I'm not a Buckeye fan being a Kentucky guy, but, uh, man, they love their badgers up here. But I'm here this week, and then I'm off next week before heading to New York and then the U.S. Senior Open. So uh, a lot of time on the road, but it's what we do. It's all hey, right. Man, we're keeping an eye on you. We're, we're thrilled you're playing so well, and thanks for taking the time to join us today and get out there and play well this week in Madison. You got it. Thanks a lot. Always enjoy it, Tom, and, uh, hey, good luck to you too. Thank you, man. Always great to have Steve Flesh, four-time winner on the PGA Tour and playing great right now on the Champions Tour. It's, I, I've been following him regularly after not following him for a long, long time, but, I mean, he's just been so gracious with his time coming on the program. A lot of interesting stuff there from him about this whole thing. Anything stand out to you, Reed Mouse, or nothing at all? You're shaking your head over there. There's just so much to unpack, tr truthfully, with the, the whole live and, and, and PGA stuff. I, I'm excited just to see as the news unravels, as we learn more and more about this, um, just to see what, what's truly going on. It's, I, I, I can't make an opinion this early in the whole thing. Jacob, you're a big golf guy. What are you thinking? Well, Liv obviously failed, like Trace is putting in the chat. No one's watching the CW, anything like that. Um, I think it's great for golf that it happened because, you know, Brooks Kepka just won a major. He finished second in Augusta. You know, those are guys on the Live Tour that people really want to watch. You know, Dustin Johnson, uh, Phil Mickelson, even at his old age, people want to watch him play. You know, there's big groups following him in every tournament he plays in. So I think it's a big deal for golf. I think it's, it's definitely a good thing to get – 
you know, the big names back in the tour playing with everyone on a weekly basis. No doubt. You have any thoughts on this, my man? Yeah, I think, I think he was right. I think Liv is done. I don't think there's going to be a Liv any longer. It's just going to be the fun investing the PGA, which I think, I, I think Rory made a comment. It's, you know, it's going to be the, it's better for the game of golf. And in the way it is, because there's going to be more money for all these players, but it does make it does. Wait, make I I think your mic is unplugged again. <laughs> the hell are you doing over there, Elliot? I've not moved. I mean, come on. I haven't moved. Wait, no, there you go. It's back? Yeah, it's back now. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't know what I was saying. Um, I, I but I, I, it's going to be more money for all the players. It just it just makes Jay Monahan look like a fool. It makes him look like a clown. It makes him look like a weasel. So we'll see. We'll see. The players clearly aren't happy right now a lot of them i think as time goes on this will this will go away i believe but we'll see monahan's the real loser in all this oh yeah right yeah oh without a doubt but you know what i, I mean i can promise you that it, it, if he gets runs off gets run off i you can book it there's going to be a severance package like you know like nobody and his brother gets when they walk out the door yeah right so, if it's all about the money, and clearly it's about the money. How do seven weeks go by, though? When I read that in the story, you know, after things were really starting to come together, that this has been going on for seven weeks, hmm. and no one knew about it. It's impressive that they kept it under the wraps. Yeah. I think, I think Steve may be onto something there, that, that somebody probably went to them and said, hey, look, I'm going I'm to go with this story, and I'm going to give you 12 hours, mm-hmm. 24 hours. For you guys to do it yourselves, but I'm going with the story sooner or later. Paul, you're a big golf guy. Yeah, I, I, I'm just shocked. The more and more I went home last night and was reading about some of these things, and now this morning, being able to see some of Rory's comments and everything else, I'm with you in the sense I, I'm just shocked that it never leaked. Nothing got exposed. I saw Jolly Jolly put in the chat that they did have a CNN pre-recorded interview uh, ready to go when this got published. But it seems to me like four, five, six people basically just got in a room for seven weeks and decided the future of the sport of golf. Now, I mean, how many live events did we watch? I watched three, four for an hour here and there. But I'm not gonna say like I was invested in it. But I don't. I watch the majors anyway. I like. I enjoy the sport. You know, I watch Sundays. This is. It seems very weird that this is how this all went down. And I think Steve made a fantastic point that there are a lot of details that it seems like are gonna come out here and there uh, of stuff we don't know, questions that we're gonna need a lot of answers to, and we'll see where it goes from there. All right. Um, anything before we uh, wind things up here today we need to get to? We have a couple of things. Uh, so this is very quick. Josh Allen is going to be the cover athlete on Madden. First Bills player ever to be the cover athlete on a Madden game. Can, 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 can we stop there for a second? Yeah. Okay. Has Mahomes ever been on the cover? Twice. Yeah. Twice. Okay. Burrow's never been on the cover. No. Correct. Do we want Joe Burrow to be on the cover? Well, allegedly, who this in year, their right mind is picking Josh? If you're the marketing guy for is Madden, you said, yeah, the game yeah. Madden, Madden 24. Yep, yep. Whoever, whoever, I mean, maybe they try to get Joe, and he said no. I don't know. 
But who in their right mind picks Josh Allen? The last two years, he's not been in the same galaxy with Burrow. Do we want Joe Burrow to be on the cover? Of course you do. All the rest of that stuff's nonsense. I mean, come on. It's Joe Burrow. All right, what's next? What's next? Carlos (laughs) Torres. What's a segment? What's next? What's next? Here we get flustered with something. Here's the umpire scorecard Like I am with the four of you over the topic yesterday. (laughs) I'm still chapped about that. Go ahead. Here's the... uh... Don't leave 15 grand around us, Tom. (laughs) You ain't getting it back. Hell, I can't leave two quarters that fall out of my pocket around here. Go oh, ahead. We're, Here's we're the umpire scorecard from Carlos Torres last night, a home plate umpire in a Reds-Dodgers game. Our guy Torres did not have the best night. We knew that at, at the time, but, man, he, it, was, it was all over the place. Look at all those missed pitches on well, the outside. David Bell got run. Fighting the people's fight. Yep. And so Tom, that, are you a fan of that? Are you a fan when, it, when, are you a fan when uh, the uh, – the manager gets ejected like that, maybe sparks some uh, energy into the crowd. And well, I don't think it's – it might spark some energy into the crowd. I don't think uh, – you know, uh, there might be times where you feel like your team needs it. Maybe he felt like his team needed it. I just think he was chapped at how bad the, the, the balls and strikes were. Yep. And he had just had enough. Although I will say, I mean, that report card indicates there were pitches missed. The one he came out on after an argue was a strike. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the replays clearly show. Breaking yeah. ball, snap dragon on the outside corner, bam, right there. Lowing away to the right-handed hitter. It's a strike. But, you know, he had had enough. So, you know, I think everybody loves seeing a manager go off. Yeah. He went off. You don't see that much anymore. He can go off for the best of them, by the way. Yeah. It's that Cincinnati in him. Tom, we're in the trust tree here. Have you ever been thrown out of a, a sporting event? No, I've been teed up. Been teed up. As a basketball coach, a number youth, of times. Youth basketball coach. Teed up. But All never right. thrown out. Never thrown out. No. All right. No. No. Teed never got up over for sure. I, you know, I just ask guys, are you watching the same game I'm watching? <laughs> right? And it's funny because now I'll go to high school basketball games, and this was the, the, the guys back then that were reffing the youth basketball games are now high school officials. Oh, and you, they walk so I'll in. So come walking in the gym. They're standing there. Guys are warming up. All of a sudden, I'll look at them and go, you got to be kidding. He said, I got you. Back in that day, I said, I, I'll ask you the same question. I said, how can you team me up for asking you if you're watching the same game I'm watching? <laughs> Just... <laughs> I mean, one of my darkest moments was, I, and I've told this story before, you know, where we're playing in the city championship game. Team that we've played four or five times through the years. Never beaten them. Mm. And, man, we got them. We're up five with two to go. We're right there. Something happens. I lose it. Teed up. My son walks over to me, who's our point guard. Point guard. Walks over to me. He says, way to go, Dad. You just lost a championship for us. Oh, man. That's brutal. <laughs> That's brutal. Oh, we wow. won the game. It was worth every <laughs> second of it. Did he say it tongue-in-cheek or was he No, being... he was dead serious. He, he was, was chapped, boy. I mean chapped. He's like, you got to be kidding. You can't hold <laughs> it together with two minutes left in the game. Well, that's what we like out of a point guard. He runs the team, right? He's a secondary coach. He's holding you accountable. He was, and I got no problem with that. That's okay. I hold them accountable. They got to hold me accountable, right? Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else? What's next? There's nothing uh, on what's next, but we do have a cherry on top. All right. 
Uh, let me here we go. This is a good one. Let me tee this up here real quick. All right, but 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 for everybody that doesn't know, because we have a lot of people uh, in the chat who are regulars, and we have some that quite honestly, uh, you know, that, that aren't here very often, if ever. And so um, most games, Trace Fowler and Nick Kirby yep. do you know the, a streaming version of you know whatever that show is extra innings right yep yep but, but 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 this ours really breaks it down get into a lot of lot of detail far more uh you know nuts and bolts stuff than you're going to get with a bunch of commercials and all that kind of thing somewhere else th th this is a really good show and they're there every night and one of trace's signatures stick is when the reds win he'll crack open a cold beer during the stream, right? So here's what happened last night. Get out of here. Just get out of here just for the fun of it. Get out of here. Okay, fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know what, chat? You know what happened? I came down here and I said, you know what? I'm bringing one. I'm bringing one. I'm bringing one because we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Get out of here. Just get out of here just for the fun of it. Does get it out of get here. get any better than that right there? Unbelievable. <laughs> you, could, you could tell. He, you could see his brain. The gears start working. He's like, I want to scream right now, but the kids are asleep. Everyone's asleep upstairs. <laughs> I got to keep it real quiet down here. So you just see the gears where he's like, woo. <gasps> that was fantastic. Fantastic. Love that stuff. Remind you of your OU days, didn't it? No, reminds me of last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> we went out, uh, we had the big graduation party, you know, and, and, sure. and, and of course, none of the kids were drinking. They're all under 18. So, you know, there wasn't any of that going on. But the parents decided that we would show them how to play certain games. Mm. It, when the time comes, they turn 21 and they're allowed to drink beer, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. well, I'm going to tell you, some of the dads can still get after it pretty good. Pretty good. What's your, what's your... Well, I mean, we played some game I had never seen the other day. You know, back in my day, it was quarters. Played quarters, You know, right? bounce, bounce the quarter. It goes in a cup. Drink. You know, right. Okay. So, or other people would drink. If you right. made it, they would drink. If you drop a quarter on the floor, we come by, steal it up from you real That's quick. Exactly we steal right. your money. That's the way it would work. But uh, it, it's the flip cup thing. Have you seen this one? Yeah, oh, flip yeah. cup. Right? Where you flip yeah. them and you go down the line like a yeah. team, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first time I had ever done it the other day. First, first try? Just a, boom, had one of the kids look at me saying, you got to be kidding me, Mr. Frank. They didn't know what they were dealing like, with. Like, hey, we're dialed in here, big boy. <laughs> this ain't Kevin Newman. That was this the last time I got it right. But it was good to do it the first time, right? Um, no, OJ. The, the high school students were not drinking. No. We would never allow such a thing to go on. Tom, I think Sirboy paid for a special question. He, he wanted to ask, I guess we can maybe end it on this. Uh, are the Reds better now than they were last season? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
Yes, there's no doubt about it. Sir Boy, Sir Boy wanted to know. He's been begging to know. Well, I mean, see, that, that's the issue with Sir Boy. <laughs> In a nutshell, right? I mean, this time last year, they were like 8-40. and 40. <laughs> They're five games under 500, right? Yeah. 28 and 33, you know what they are yeah. now? 27 and 32, yep. something yep. like that. Somewhere right around yeah. there. Yeah. So there we go. Sir Boy, there you have it. All right, uh, tomorrow we have Marty Brenneman joining us. We'll talk more about L.A. De La Cruz and the Reds. Uh, we'll have Tracy Jones, of course, Friday. We're looking forward to Jay Morrison to have more on what's going on with the Bengals uh, as they continue OTAs and then roll right into a mandatory camp next week, yes? Very quickly, Drew Garrison threw in a $5 super chat. He said, Tom Brenneman, leader of men. <laughs> have to agree with him. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. You just got to bring home the, uh, yeah, and then Mouse Cop says, read equals lazy liberal elite. <laughs> Two out of three, right? <laughs> okay. Gentlemen, good seeing you. Paul, yep. Reed, Elliot, Jacob, have fun at the game tonight with your Thank dog. You. Thank your dog's you. name, what's your name? Juno. Juno. You and Juno have a good time. Thank Be you. careful down there. <laughs> what is this? $100 if Tom shotguns a beer as a cherry on top. We'll do that one day. We'll do that this week. <laughs> That's from Jolly Jolly. If he'll send over lunch from his joint. From Jolly's. Road. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. Everybody have a great day. We'll look forward to seeing you uh, tomorrow right here on Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. Have a good day.